Let's pray together. Father, as the children and the young people settle into their times outside, away from us now, we pray for your presence with them. Thank you for the teachers and the leaders amongst them. Thank you that these children, young people, are cared for, are nurtured, are encouraged to trust you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that there are people now as adults, married people, who once were a child in one of the groups in this local church. We thank you for that growth in grace over the years. We commend ourselves to you now. We pray, take a moment to pray for our friends who are unwell today. Uh, it's been a flu thing that's affected people sometimes more than once, and we pray for them. We miss them, Lord, and we ask for your grace to come upon them, your power to overshadow them so that their bodies are healed of these diseases. Commit ourselves to you and to your word, which is able to build us up and give us an inheritance amongst all who are sanctified. Build us up in your truth today, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. A book recently published calls what I've been, I've been saying, calling the disciplines of grace, the habits of grace. And actually, that, that's a good phrase too. I, I wish I'd thought of that one. But. The disciplines of grace are what a disciple chooses to adopt and do so that they are a disciple. You're not a disciple if you're not disciplined. If you don't accept some things that you should do and you're restricted in other ways of things that you choose not to do. And you say, well, that's not evil, that's not sin. It's not a case of sometimes about whether something is sinful. It's whether it's helpful, whether it's strategic, whether it builds, whether it glorifies God. So to grow as a Christian, we adopt certain disciplines they're positive and negative, restrictions, guidelines, principles that help us to grow in grace. As we use these disciplines, we receive and grow in the grace of God. I want to read a series of scriptures to you. Um, I'm taking them in order, and they're taken in the order of the days leading up to the Lord Jesus going to the cross. I want you to get that picture in your mind. These are in the days just before Jesus goes to the cross. Start in Matthew 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and one on your left hand. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. And he he turns to the brothers now and he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we're able He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. On hearing this, the other ten disciples became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. The King James has it very punchy. Not so with you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. We move on into the Last Supper. 
In John 13. The evening before Jesus is crucified the next day. Now before the feast of the Passover. Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. (laughs) Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, that's amen, amen, I say to you, A slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then after this, still after the Lost Supper, as they're going to Gethsemane, this happens. There arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And again, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus also in another place said this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and for the slave that he become like his master. At this crisis point in the life of Jesus... As he's heading towards the cross, he's making these statements and setting this profound example of servanthood. He also very clearly says that leadership in his church is not to be modeled on the pattern of the world of chiefs and lords and kings who exalt themselves. Jesus points to himself and says, you see me, 
how I humble myself and serve, imitate me. Right through the Old Testament, and particularly in the book of Isaiah, Jesus was pictured as the servant of Yahweh. The servant of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. It's picked up in the passage of scripture which will be familiar to many of us in Philippians 2. But I want you to notice how this is phrased, how this is put together. Jesus is exalted here, being honoured here in Philippians 2 as the one who humbled himself and now is highly exalted. But listen to how Paul writes it. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be held on to, grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. That's a polite way of saying slave. And being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, the name of God, in other words, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and at every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Before Jesus was made like us, took on humanity, he chose the role of servant. Because he was the servant of Yahweh, he became a man. He didn't insist on his rights as being equal with the Father, but humbled himself to serve the Father. Having become servant, he then became man. And when he came amongst us, we've already read it, he did not come to be served, but in humility to serve. And that humility and servanthood ran through right to his last breath on the cross. Jesus sets himself forward as the ultimate servant. And his word to us is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be like me. You're going to do as I do. We are servants of Christ. This is gospel truth. Every one of us. Not just pastors and leaders. Forget that nonsense. We all, every Christian, is a servant of Christ Jesus. We're sons of God but we're also stewards and servants. and you, you can't use one set of scriptures to erase others. You can't say, oh, it's all about love, therefore we put away the scriptures that talk about the fear of God. No, Jesus told us to fear God. You don't rub out the fear of God's scriptures because you like these instead. 
Oh, I'm a child of God, so I don't need to be servant and I don't need to be humble. You cannot use one lot of scripture to rub out others. It's error. It's how you construct false doctrine. I'm not going to remind you today how many parables Jesus gave us about stewards and servants. I've listed them in my notes if you want to look them up. We are stewards. We are servants. As stewards, we've been given things, we've been delegated responsibility, we're accountable, we're stewards of ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our character, our behavior, our abilities, our time, our income and cash flow, our our calling to care for particular people, with family or, 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 or work colleagues, or if you're an employer or a manager, we are a steward of these things. And as servants, we have one thing to do. You're glad about that because you can't remember many, can you? You can remember one thing. As servants, we do whatever he asks us. We do everything he commands us. Simple. No. (laughs) But you can say it simply. Our one thing, as servants of Christ, is simply... To do, to obey. Everything he gives. Not just church ministers of the Lord are the Lord's servants. Every Christian is. I wish I could erase that word minister and replace it with servant because people wouldn't go about, around boasting about I'm the slave of... You know, would they? But they like the minister. Hey, you know... There are two people who call me reverend, okay? One is Elim, because they ordained me late in life, but there you go. And the other one is the Inland Revenue, otherwise known as HMRC. And I don't care, because there's something not at all sound, not at all right about boasting in titles. It's wrong. In fact, in the New Testament language, there's little difference between the word servant and the word slave. Imagine if everyone who calls around, goes around calling themselves a minister was tomorrow we said, it's it's ruled out, you can't do it, you've got to call yourself a slave now. I think they'd give up boasting pretty quickly. (laughs) The Greek word we have translated in the Bible as master is is actually despotes. And uh, if you take off the ES, do you see what those left there? Despot. Jesus is our despot. But he's not cruel. He's not unmerciful. He's not harsh. He's not a despot as we think of despots. He refers to a slave owner. Paul referred to himself as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Bought, owned by a master. I tell you, we have a good master. We have a good shepherd. I have a good master. I said the other Sunday, and it's, it, you know, some of those preachers say things and you think about them afterwards. I don't know if you noticed, but we do. And I, rem- I remember saying, I think it was last Sunday, my master will do me no harm. I believe that. My master will do me no harm. But he is my master. He owns me. He owns me. It's not a case of whether I give myself to him. He owns me. 
He bought me with his own blood. Now, how well or not I'm doing as a servant is another question. But you know what? Whether you do well or you don't do well doesn't change your position. You still are a steward. You still are a servant. You don't vote yourself into it. You don't vote yourself out of it. There's no opting in and out. What God says, what God calls, is established. Whether it's that you're a child of God or you're a servant of God. It is so. The question is how you conduct yourself in relation to the truth which is established about you. Whether you enjoy the privileges and pleasures of being a child of God. Whether you accept the responsibilities of being a steward. Whether you will live up to this name, servant, and obey Christ. The passage in Philippians 2 about the humility and servant of the Lord Jesus starts with this. That we, did you notice, are to put on the same attitude. Put on the same way of thinking. That's our task this morning. To put on the attitude of servanthood that we see in Jesus himself. If we're to become more like Jesus the Son, we must follow Jesus the Servant. It's what he tells us. It's what it is. If you have any ambition to become more like Jesus in his relationship to the Father as a dear beloved son, then we also need to face the fact that Jesus calls us to follow him as servants. I'm not here to be served, but to serve. I'm not here to receive, but to give. I am not greater than my master. If I, if I was to open my heart and tell you how often I say that to him, to remind myself, I am not greater than you. You are not my servant, I am your servant. It is enough for me to become like my master. Now many people would say, well, I, I'm quite happy to serve Jesus. But he says, when he, get, when he points out to you where he wants you to serve, you say, well, I didn't, buy, I didn't sign up for that. You see, to serve him, we serve one another. Just as we learned in John's Gospel and in the Epistle of John over the past months and years even now. If you love the Lord, you will love his people. And the proof of, you, of what you say about you loving the Lord is that you love his people. And if you don't love your fellow brother and sister, shut up about loving God because it isn't true. If we imagine we can serve the Lord Jesus without serving someone, someone with flesh and blood near to us, we're just fooling ourselves. Super spiritual nonsense and hype. Jesus' new commandment to us is that we love one another as he has loved us. And he also has set us this example. We saw it in John 13. If you've seen me do this, you do the same. Serve one another. This love is to be practical, measured in deeds rather than words. Oh, I really love you, bro. Yeah? Could do a little help on something right now. The evidence that we are faithful servants of Jesus Christ is that we love and serve one another. Now I'm going to really... It's going to get uncomfortable now. We even serve him in our job. How many of you are really blessed to think you're going to work tomorrow? 
Scripture has word. Scripture has wisdom for us. Listen to it. You can change the word slaves to employees or workers, and it still works. That's what these scriptures are about. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, as men pleasers. You get busy when because the boss walked in the room. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether slave or free. And masters, employers, bosses, managers. Do the same things to them and give up threatening. Being bossy. Knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Parallel scripture in Colossians. Slaves, workers of the world unite. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequence of the wrong which is done, and that without partiality. Masters, Grant to your slaves, your workers, justice and fairness, living wage and so on, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. In our place of work, you may have a manager or an employer, but even there, Christ is our master and we are his servants. We are his slaves. We are there to work for him. Sincerely, heartily, with goodwill. I want you to notice the phrase from Ephesians, doing the will of God from the heart. Some people make a great deal of fuss about wanting to know God's will. I just want to know God's will. I just want to know God's will. There are a number of scriptures which very plainly tell you some things which are God's will. One is your sanctification. Another one is here. Do your job well. So that Jesus is honoured. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Another one is be thankful in all things. Keep, keep rejoicing and giving thanks. That's the will of God. So actually, going to work with a bad attitude and a grumbling heart is definitely not doing the will of God. Here's a very clear answer. Whatever it is before you that needs doing in service to others, including your day job, and it's in your power to do it, that's the will of God for you right now. Let me say it again in this way. Doing the will of God is not getting out of your job and working full-time as a Christian. So I can serve the Lord. You are serving the Lord where you are now. And until you learn that lesson, I don't think you'll find anything else to do. Anyway. You're doing the will of God by working as a Christian. Serving the Lord Christ in your job. And doing it with a good heart. Diligently. Faithfully. There is no part of life, work, family, citizenship, church, world, in which this is not true. We serve the Lord Christ. Everywhere. All the time. We serve the Lord Christ. It's never untrue. Now that changes 
life pretty thoroughly. Mums. So I talk to mums, maybe some house dads. Raising the kids. Doing the chores. Getting the meals ready. Who are you doing it for? The answer is Jesus. You serve the Lord Christ. So if your children aren't thankful, we'll give them a little slap, but the fact is you're not dependent on their thanks. You're serving the Lord Christ. My next point is this, serving... Oh, thank you. (laughs) Serving wounds pride. Serving wounds pride. I'd like to say kills pride, but it doesn't kill pride. Pride's like those weeds in your garden, which some of you don't even bother to pull up, but I know from experience, you never stop pulling weeds. They're just there all the time. I planted seeds yesterday, and I'm looking forward to seeing the seeds grow, but you know, there'll be a while at which there'll be other things growing, and until they get a bit bigger, I don't know what's a seed and what's a weed. Pride is very resilient. Every act of service, humble service, is like a stab into pride. That worked, didn't it? So not a stab at the heart of pride. See, here's the thing. You notice, you, you notice how reluctant you are, how unwilling you are to submit, to, to bow, to serve. The disciples were all standing, you know, I'm not washing feet. We've all got dirty feet, yeah, so? I'm not doing it. But the one who serves stabs pride. Satan, pride is the primal sin. By the way, the the love of money is a root of many kinds of evil, but not of all evil. There is one primal sin, which is the root of all sin, and that is pride. I'm going to be somebody. Ego, 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 ego. When you serve, when you humble yourself, you say, ego, you can go. Satan rebelled and fell through pride. He then led Adam and Eve into the sin of pride. Whenever we submit, humble ourselves to serve, we defy pride and ego and self-serving. We read it in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look merely to your own personal interests, but also to the interests of others. But here's the thing. In much of the modern church, people are seeking status. People want a title, a position. And they love it when a prophet tells them, you need to call yourself this now. Oh, oh, I've got a new job. I've got a new title. I know people who've wasted their lives because some prophet gave them something like that. Wasted their lives because they took something like that too seriously. And they, 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 they go around, oh, well, this is my calling, this is my... People are pursuing being, having a name. They, wanna, they, wanna, they want somewhere in the world there to be, my name, Ministries, Inc. Okay, let's, let's, let's debunk that. Ministry means service. All right? So you're advertising in big capital letters that you are a servant. Well done! Thank you! But no, 
You see, that what the attitude is, no, I, I'm somebody. Jesus struck at the very root of that way of thinking. Jesus despises it, to be truthful. Some preaching and some songs encourage this and some full teachers will appoint hundreds of people at one time in one of their gatherings to be ministers. It's dangerous nonsense. It's only about inflating egos. The language of the scripture is very careful, being very badly abused here. To minister means to serve. And serving does not inflate your ego, it deflates it. It's a stab into pride. In serving, we simply do what needs doing. That's what Jesus did. No one's washing feet. I'll do it. But you're Jesus. No one stopped him. Is anyone going to tell Jesus, no, you can't do that, Jesus? (laughs) I just had to let him. I just had to let him. Do you get the lesson? It needed doing. So who did it? Jesus did. Why? Why? To set us an example. If you've seen me do this, go and do the same. Now, we don't practice foot washing as a ritual. I think you could do that and still not love one another and serve one another, to be honest. If it was just a ritual over Easter that you washed feet or whatever. I know some churches do that. It's not, it's not a sacrament, as far as I'm concerned. It's not a means of grace. But it's a very humbling thing to wash someone's dirty, smelly feet, you know. <laughs> The other day I came here and for some strange reason there was a pile of horse manure just at the bottom of our drive. I thought, how did a horse get there to do that? Anyway, I, I shoveled it and washed it and got rid of it. But I was thinking about this walking around. You know, you're walking around on the road and you've got bare feet in sandals and what isn't going to get on your feet? Somebody needs to wash feet. Guess who did it? Jesus did it. Why? Because it just needed doing. In serving, we simply do what needs doing. Someone may say, but that's not my ministry. Oh, my goodness. Can you hear how ridiculous that sounds? We are so used to our hearts being drunk with pride, we can say something as stupid as, that's not my ministry, and it sounds good to us. That is a ridiculous statement. If it needs doing, and you can do it, do it. Serve. Why? Because Jesus says so. Washing feet wasn't Jesus' ministry. But he did it. A servant does not think to himself, that's not my concern, someone else will do that. Because that's what the disciples were thinking, all 12 of them, or 11 of them, Jesus had gone by then. No one was prepared to start to wash the feet of the others, so Jesus did. That was true leadership and also true servanthood. The scriptures that speak about our having different gifts aren't about, so I get the title of prophet here, you know, or I get get teacher, capital T, Every scripture that talks about gifts emphasizes this same point. You, you get to use that to serve others. Yeah. Yes. Amen. To love them, to do them good. 
That's why God gives you that gift at that time, so that you contribute a gift, so others are helped and served and built up. It's not about you doing your thing. It's nothing to do with you doing your thing. It's them getting help. Out there is a world that is so drunk, not on alcohol, on materialism and ego and self-interest, that we don't realize how much it affects us still. But if I want, you know, I know this is a building and I'm not into buildings as such. I don't call this building a church because it's not my theology. But if you imagine us as being a family of God, living in a home together, and there's a doorway i tell you what's written on the outside of that doorway. Consumerism stops here. I don't come in through the doorway to this family of God, this household of faith, so I can just get something and go away. We are here to love and to serve one another. We're not consumers. We're not just to get a bit of takeaway and run away. We're here to serve one another. In love, serve one another. If you think you can serve to gain status, you're self-deceiving. I have to tell you, Jesus sets himself against that scheme. I'll look like I'm really serving, serving and humble, so I get to be somebody. <laughs> Again, so drunk with pride, we don't even realize how stupid that sounds. I'll just play the trick of looking like I'm really serving and humble and then somebody will notice and I'll get my name badge. I'll get, I'll get to be somebody. I remember people when I was church pioneering who, who would come along and they'd say, can I, can, I, can I help you, David, pastor, or whatever. You know, I never insist on people calling me a pastor either. So if you do, you do. I, I don't mind. It's not, not a thing, not a deal. And he, I'd say, yeah, sure. Yeah, but I, I go early, we need things to do. But, you know, I'll, I'll pick you up. So, this guy, a couple of them really over the years, pick him up, comes with me, we go and help him. And so we're doing this, we're serving. We're, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting out chairs and thinking, he's helping me. I tell you what, it would only be about a month or so before the conversation would be, so, so, so when do I get promoted? <laughs> Sorry? When do I get to be your assistant? You know, they didn't jump up and down, but they were inside. And I said, I, I, I don't need an assistant. We're a little church. We're just starting. I mean, you could barely pay me. I mean, you just, what, what, what are you talking about? I said, listen, I, I come and do this stuff whether you help me or not. It'll get done. Yeah? But no, no, no. See, the, the serving had a, this, this ambition. So I get status. I'm going to tell you something now. You're not going to like it. Serving smells of Christ. Status stinks of pride and sin. (coughs) Serving is a discipline of grace and it moves us to become more like our master. So choose to serve and give pride another step and another step and another step. Every time you bow your heart, 
you submit your will and you do something just because it needs doing it because people need it done. And it blesses them and helps them. It furthers common good and our common purpose together as a church or it serves your family or it serves in your workplace, wherever it is. Church is part of the mix of life where we serve. We, it's not about, I, I switch off being an employee there and I come and serve in church. No. <laughs> you know, Jack and I aren't employees. Do you understand? We're here to serve. We're here to work hard for the common good of the church. Serving also demonstrates love. It shows all the stuff we talk about. I love God. He loves me. You know, that's fine. Okay, so what needs doing? Yeah? I, I know of, of, you know, we've done marriage and counselling and things like this. Listen, this might sound ridiculous, but I remember one woman clearly said, and she wasn't the only one who said, Do you know, I feel like I might love my husband more if I at least put his socks in the, in the bin, you know, in the, in, the, in the clothes kind of hamper at the end of the day. Didn't leave clothes lying around. It's like, what? Love is demonstrated in lots of small deeds. Practical things, really practical things. And doing love is always more important than saying love. John says in 1 John, let us love not with words but with deeds. Deeds. Galatians 5. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, for sinful human nature, but through love serve one another. And Romans, write quite a chunk in Romans. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honour. Not, that's not honouring one pastor, that's one another. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. You know what fervency means? I'm up for this. <laughs> Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, trouble, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practising hospitality. Notice those last two very practical things. Contributing to the needs of the saints is about giving. Practicing hospitality means welcoming people into your home and feeding them. Okay, I'm going to wind up application. There are two statements that every pastor and Christian leader will be familiar with. In the church, there's never any shortage of work that needs to be done. But there's always a shortage of those willing to do the work. I've checked this with Colin and Kevin. We're going to go for this today. Until now at Lighthouse, we've used the language of volunteering a lot. We've asked for volunteers. But from today, I have to keep reminding you, but from today, we set that language aside. From now on, let us speak of serving. We will ask you, if we ask you to help in some way, not to volunteer But we will ask you, will you be willing to serve in this way? Why? Because words do matter. And serving is what we're called to by him who served us even to the cross. And now is our master in heaven. But please hear this. This is not the language I'm asking you to serve me. Because I know from my own experience that that kind of language is inappropriate. It's often abused by some in the body of Christ. And I stand against those leaders who use Old Testament scriptures about Israel's kings and so on to rule over their fellow Christians. And they quote, touch not the Lord's anointed, 
which actually refers to all Israel, the people of God, to deflect criticism of their ego and greed and love of money. You can look up the words of the Lord Jesus on those leadership issues, those who love to be honoured and take money away from widows. No, I do not want anyone to elevate me and think that they serve me. And I really don't want anyone to think that if we ask you to do something, you're doing that me or the elders a favour either. Because a favour is a one-off. It's not a commitment. It's certainly not a commitment of heart. I want you today to see this. That if you do something for the common good of the family of God, you are actually serving the Lord Christ. Amen. Whether your serving is noticed by others really doesn't matter that much. It's nice to be noticed. It's nice for someone to say thank you. Of course it is. But Jesus teaches us that if you do something to be seen by others, to be seen by others, you have reward. You've been noticed. Go home. You've got your reward. But what others do not notice, he sees. And he will commend and reward you. We've read it three times already in the scriptures we've looked at today. So from today, look around you and ask the question, how, where, today can I serve? I mean, this is a Monday through Saturday question, not just Sunday. What can I do today so that I'm following and serving my master? Please remember, this is not about seeking status. It's not about pinning the name badge, getting the capital letters there. It's doing whatever task the Lord gives you at a particular time. And doing it with a good heart, with energy, with faithfulness. And this is not just about church. It is about church, but it's not just about church. It's about the whole of life. We serve wherever we are, whatever needs doing, as a slave of Christ and Master. The home, the church, the workplace, the street. How many of us at different times have served some woman with a pushchair trying to get up the escalator or something like that? You just serve. Just do it. Just do it. Oh, I hope someone helps her. Oh, come on. I hope someone helps her. That's like James when he says, you know, this guy's hungry, hungry and cold and shivering. And you say, be blessed. I hope someone gives you some food and something to wear. You just do it. Serve. He will not fail to reward those who refuse to seek status and choose instead to humble themselves to serve. We have his promises. Here's two of them. Therefore, my beloved brethren, which is inclusive, sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's serving him wherever you are. Knowing that your toil is not in vain. In the Lord. And Galatians is even sharper in a way. Because we can get tired. Tired's good, weary's not good. I've worked really hard today and I'm tired, you know. But I'm fed up with working today. I'm, you know, that's weary. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Yet the greatest outcome of service is this, that through choosing humility and service, we become more like our Master Jesus, and we delight the heart of our Father God.
Serving is a core value for me. It's what I know. It's how I was raised. And I tell you, we're going to keep on building that value practically here in Lighthouse. The world stops at the door. Consumerism doesn't come in. Materialism and greed don't have no place. The love of money has... No, no, we're not doing that. Why? Because we're called together to be the children of God, but also the servants of God. We're here by calling, by appointment, to serve the Lord Christ, whatever task he gives us. And I am not greater than my master. It is enough that I become like my master. Let's pray together. We commit your word back to you, Lord, that it will bear fruit in us. Holy Spirit, come and change the shape of our thinking. Take down the walls, the partitions that we say, oh, this is God, this isn't, this is my life, this is that. This. In every, we come and invade every bit of our lives with the truth, Lord. Whether I'm driving the car, whether I'm raising the kids, whether I'm going shopping, I'm still the same person. I'm still the same child of God, but I'm still also a steward and a servant. And whatever you point out to me that needs doing, that would be of helpful, that would be of value, that would be loving, that would be humble, that would honor you, is the will of God. Lord, you know me. You know how often my heart needs to stab to put pride back down again. I thank you that you've given this serving as a means of grace, that it always wounds ego to do it. It may be that you want to make some response to the Lord right now yourself. And I have to say this too, that it may be this morning that you're not even yet a Christian. Jesus calls you to follow him. He who died on the cross bought you with his blood. But actually surrendering, giving up, is a very hard thing to do. To place yourself in his hands. To own him as Lord, as King. There's only one Lord, one Master. It's not some Christian leader, it's Jesus. Jesus is the only Lord, the only Master. Do you submit yourself, your life to him as your Master? I tell you again, he's the good Master. He's the good Shepherd. My Master does me no harm. The wisest thing you could do in all of your life is to become a willing subject of King Jesus. Why don't you pray to him right now and hand yourself over to him? To be loved by him, yes, but to serve him. You're probably arguing with yourself now about all sorts of things will have to change. Yes, they will. But you know what? He'll tell you all about that, step by step. 
The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. You don't have to figure that out. You don't have to make your to-do list. You just have to start by surrendering yourself to him and he will begin to lead you. What you read in the Lord's My Shepherd, he leads you, he feeds you, he directs your feet. You're living on his agenda, not yours. For others of us, I think for many of us right now, we need to check our attitudes. Let this attitude be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. We need to check our attitude towards how we serve our family, our attitude towards the job we're going to tomorrow, our attitude towards some of the people who have authority towards us. And maybe, we, maybe, we, maybe they're not very good, and maybe we have a good reason not to like them. But you know what? We're not serving them. I mean, this might be cheerful news. You're not serving them. You serve the Lord Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you who washed your disciples' feet just because no one else would and it needed doing, have said for us, this enormous, timeless example of what it is, yes, to lead, but mostly to serve. We pray that our hearts may follow Jesus the servant while enjoying the privileges of having come into sonship through him. For in these real issues of life, you reshape us, you change us, you mould our thinking and our hearts And the practical deeds of our hands will help to form, reform the shape of our minds and our hearts. We become more like you as we do what you give us to do. Thank you, Lord. Amen.